Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod, where our only mandate is to stay at home and not to form a government, where we're staying two meters apart in order to support a two-state solution, and where we are socially distant but getting closer to the truth. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman. And I'm Eli Koaz. Evan, literally the only thing good that's come out of this epidemic is your podcast intros, so I'm enjoying them. And for more reason than one, I'm hoping that this crisis will abate soon enough that we don't run out of podcast intros. Also because if we do run out of podcast intros, that means it's gone so long that we're really at our wits end. Staying realistic, but staying positive. Let's hope so. So Israel is under almost complete lockdown. The health ministry has instructed Israelis to avoid beaches, minimize social contact, pretty much stay at home whenever possible. But at the same time, political developments in Israel continue to go on. And on Sunday, we had a day of deliberations with each of party party heads and party delegations, President Reuven Rivlin, where each party recommended their candidate for prime minister. And what Some consider a surprise is that Benny Gantz received 61 recommendations and he has been tasked to form a coalition. Not going to be an easy task for him, but it was pretty unprecedented that both Israel Beitenu, Avigdor Lieberman's party, and the entire joint list, including Balad, recommended Benny Gantz form the government. I don't think Netanyahu expected this, and it creates a new dynamic, at least for the next couple of weeks, in Israeli politics. Again, uh, you wrote a great article about why it won't be an easy task for Benny Gantz to form a government, but he has the mandate, and we'll have to see uh, how he navigates in the next few weeks. It does bear mentioning, though, that Benny Gantz has had the opportunity to form a government before. After the September election, Benjamin Netanyahu was given an opportunity to form a government. He wasn't successful, and the mandate was passed to Gantz, but Gantz wasn't successful either. What has changed here, as you mentioned, is, first of all, the support of Balad, which is one of the four jointless parties. It's the most extreme of the jointless parties in terms of its political positions, and they had held back their support for Gantz in the previous election in September, even when the other three jointless parties recommended him for the premiership, and also the fact that Yisrael Beitenu recommended anyone. And obviously, as you mentioned, it is remarkable that they recommended the same candidate as the joint list, considering that the party's leader, Avigdor Lieberman, one of the central planks of his platform throughout his political career, has been agitating against Israeli-Arab citizens, against Israeli-Arab parties, and now he's essentially de facto on the same side as the largest Israeli-Arab political bloc. Also the fact that, again, that he recommended anyone, because after September, Avigdor Lieberman held back his recommendation. He didn't recommend Netanyahu, but he didn't recommend Gantz either. That's right. And Gantz was actually, if you look just at the electoral math, he was in a better position in the second elections to form a government than he is now, where here he also has a few issues, not only in terms of getting Israel Beitenu Lieberman's party to work together with the joint list, he also has to deal with some uh, internal issues to MKs, specifically Yoaz Hendel and Sfika Hauser, both members of the Talm faction of Blue and White, who previously actually both worked with Netanyahu, who are more right-wing than 
most of the party, and also they have expressed that they will not be willing to support any minority government that includes uh, or that is dependent on the joint list. So that's going to be something that he, he needs to work out. We spoke last episode about Orly Levy and her change of heart slash betrayal of Amir Peretz and of her party. She has gone full circle and completed that. Today she requested a full-on break-off of Gesher from the Labor Gesher Merits uh, Union. So that uh, was a short-lived uh, party that has now reached its end. She is the only member of that party that will be in the Knesset. So she doesn't have that much power, and we're not in a situation where her seat is the seat that determines whether or not a government can be formed. Um, that's because uh, the, it, it, the picture is 6258. In terms of, if we're talking about the blocks, 62 for the block that includes the center-left parties, the joint list party, and Israel Betenu of Victor Lieberman's party, and 58 on the right, the Likud, Yamina, the right-wing party, and the two ultra-Orthodox parties, United Torah Judaism and Shas. So Orly Levy is one seat, so she could change if she jumped to the other side, which she hasn't officially done yet, it's important to add that would create a 6159 scenario. So it doesn't really change the math, but something that I want to mention, which is going to be particularly important here, is that we can't escape the crisis of the coronavirus and how that has played out all across the world, but in Israel for the respect of our conversation, because for Benny Gantz to form a minority government now, in the middle of all this, I mean... I think it would be controversial within Israel. Yeah, that's right. And I think what you're saying, Eli, cuts to two of the main challenges that Gantz faces now that he has the mandate to form a government. The first, and you addressed it in talking about Zvi Hauser and Yoas Hendel and Orly Levi Abikasis, is that the bloc that is supporting Benny Gantz is far less ideologically unified than the supporters of Benjamin Netanyahu. All that the people who are backing Gantz really agree on, party to party, and even within some of the parties, is that they don't like Benjamin Netanyahu. Beyond that, it's not really clear what their common mission is. I mean, people in Kahlo Lavan have spoken in broad strokes about uh, ending corruption and, and about a more civil political discourse. But things like that do not a solid and substantive platform make. And so that's something to keep in mind. Whereas on, on the other side, you have the pro-Netanyahu bloc, which across the board, they're religious right-wingers or nationalists or just conservative politicians. So that there, there's some commonality there, even though they don't agree on everything, and certainly there are probably some disagreements between the ultra-Orthodox parties and more secular members of parties like Likud, there's some degree of a common approach to politics there. So that's one issue. And then the other thing, as you mentioned, is the coronavirus. Can't get away from it, literally. Netanyahu's handling of the coronavirus has been very popular with Israeli citizens. There was a poll taken a couple days ago I think by Channel 12 in Israel that showed that I think between 60 or 70 percent of Israelis, they supported Netanyahu's handling of the crisis. And so to take him out of the prime minister's seat now, and as you mentioned, the possibility of replacing him with a minority government, which would not be very stable, 
that might not go over well with Israeli voters. Or there might be people who are so fed up with Netanyahu otherwise that in the end or in the long run, once this crisis abates, they'll look back and say it was the right thing to do. And I'm not saying that just because Netanyahu's handling of the coronavirus crisis is popular, that Gantz shouldn't go ahead and try and stay the course and still get Netanyahu out of office. It's just a political reality that he's going to have to confront that there are going to be some people who say this is not the time. There are legitimate and compelling arguments for that. And there are also compelling arguments that Netanyahu is going to use this crisis to consolidate his position and perhaps even undertake some measures that people feel are anti-democratic or helping him to escape the, the criminal legal process that he was otherwise going to face. Yeah, that's right, Evan. And to complicate things even more for Gantz, I mean, in that you mentioned that poll about support for Netanyahu, in that same poll, uh, the majority of Kaholavan voters support a unity government, which pretty much implies that it involves both the Likud and Kaholavan and Netanyahu, prime minister, uh, most likely for the near future, and then some sort of rotation agreement. So that's a consideration that Gantz will make, and it's going to be, I think you're right, I mean, it's going to be virtually, I'm not going to say impossible, but it's going to be very, very difficult to oust Netanyahu at this juncture. There was a initiative to try to have a vote to replace the Knesset speaker, uh, Yuli Edelstein, and even that was delayed or like pushed back because uh, Yuli Edelstein said he re- would refuse to even hold the session. Uh, not sure how democratic that is, but he cited citing all sorts of things uh, from coronavirus to how this isn't the time for it. So a lot of interesting things at play here. We also have Netanyahu's trial, which has been postponed by two months because of coronavirus. Netanyahu, a lot of people talking about I mean, obviously, Netanyahu, you spoke about the approval he has from the majority of the Israeli public, but there's also a lot of people criticizing him for how he has really made himself the indispensable and the sole messenger to Israel about uh, the coronavirus. Expected, obviously, for a prime minister to address his his uh, the people of uh, the country, but at the same time to do so without any medical professionals whatsoever and to really kind of own this issue in a way been doing all sorts of things that have uh, that have uh, raised questions of him taking advantage of the situation to advance all sort of things and the latest involves tracking mobile phones of suspected corona cases something that he passed without even getting any approval from the Knesset by the way you know the Shin Bet was already able to do that. Maybe they were already doing that. Now they just uh, are formally allowed uh, to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if they were already doing it. Right. And in, in, in our own national security services here in the United States. And by the way, this Edelstein issue that you brought up is important because part of Benny Gantz's plan was to replace Yuli Edelstein with a new speaker of the Knesset so that Kaholavan could set the legislative agenda and start to push legislation that would, for example, bar someone from serving as prime minister if they're facing indictments, as Benjamin Netanyahu does, to set term limits for the prime minister, so on and so forth. With Yuli Edelstein resisting that, there is going to be a harder path ahead for him uh, in this. Again, we'll see where the courts come down on this, what happens, but because we're living in such unprecedented times with regards to everything, it's really hard to say. 
overall, right now, the advantage sits with Benny Gantz. Right now, as of the recording of this podcast on Tuesday, March 17th, 2020. But for the past two weeks, there's been this pendulum swing in Israeli politics as the advantage goes back from Netanyahu to Gantz and Gantz to Netanyahu. So tomorrow there could be a new development that throws things back into Netanyahu's court. So it's really, really hard to say at this point. On the flip side also, you know, we laid out a lot of the challenges associated with Gantz forming a minority government right now, which would seem to be his clearest path to ousting Netanyahu. There are also challenges associated with joining an emergency government with Netanyahu. When Prime Minister Netanyahu first laid out this idea of an emergency government, he excluded the joint list. And Benny Gantz kind of took the challenge to him and said, you know what, this is a crisis, we'll put things aside and join you in an emergency government, but it has to include all political parties, including the joint list. And Netanyahu doubled down on his position and said, no, we're not going to have what he called terror supporters in government, essentially inciting against the joint list with that kind of epithet, but that's who he was referring to. If Gantz goes ahead and enters an emergency government, and I think that would be a situation in which Netanyahu holds the advantage, then he may burn his bridges with the joint list. I don't know that you would see the joint list recommend Benny Gantz then if there is a fourth election, and, and there probably will be after the crisis passes. Certainly, Balad won't. Balad have said that the only reason they recommended Gantz was kind of out of gratitude to the other parties in the joint list because they supported Balad when one of uh, Balad's MKs, Hibi Yazbak, had her candidacy challenged by the Central Elections Committee. And so to see all of this come down and then for Gantz to join Netanyahu in a government that excludes the joint list, that may rub a lot of people the wrong way. Again, certainly the politicians in the joint list and probably a lot of Israeli Arab voters. And that's something, that's a that's a big block of voters that, that Gantz could then lose whatever kind of support his coalition had from them, but might not come back after this crisis passes. So a lot of hard choices ahead for him. A fact, I mean, I think the, the only, I, I believe the only physician in the Knesset is Ahmed Tibi from the jo- joint list and just... If Israel's like the Israeli Arab population, I mean, they are in this crisis along with Israeli Jews. And keep in mind, 18% of doctors in Israel are Arabs, 24% of nurses, and 47% of pharmacists in Israel. So, I mean, uh, they're, they're part of this uh, as much as every Israeli. So, I think Gantz would be wise to keep the joint list when we're talking about an emergency government to obviously keep them a priority. And one other point I just wanted to mention is that we spoke about the popularity of Netanyahu's handling of the virus, but people need to realize that thus far, I mean, I don't want to get into a, I don't want this to become a coronavirus podcast, but things are going to get worse in Israel as they probably were around the world. And um, Netanyahu's support might be high now, but I'm not sure that will continue. That won't be endless. That what was a strength for him may become a weakness. So I just think that that's an important point to make. That's absolutely right. And I want to reinforce that there is so much up in the air about Israeli politics, about this whole coronavirus situation, and to the extent that those things have become inseparable. Like you said, Eli, this is not a coronavirus podcast, although every podcast is now a coronavirus podcast. We're all in this. 
And I don't want to make any hard forecasts about the course of this pandemic. That's not where our area of expertise lies. But I think that this assessment, what I'm about to say, will hold whether coronavirus is something that passes in May or June or something that passes in September or December or whenever it happens. Things are going to look a lot different at the end of all of this. And on the one hand, if, as you speculated, Eli, if Netanyahu comes out of this and he is no longer enjoying the widespread support of the Israeli public for his handling of the coronavirus situation, then there are still things that Benny Gantz is going to have to account for. People are still going to be paying attention to how Benny Gantz and his allies are also handling this crisis as someone who wants to be in the prime minister's seat. And on the other hand, if Benjamin Netanyahu continues to benefit from public support because of his handling of the coronavirus, then he will only reinforce this image of himself that he's built up, that he's the only responsible and competent steward of Israel's national security, of the welfare of its citizens, and so on and so forth. So a lot of challenges ahead and a lot of things that are going to be hard to see for Benny Gantz and his partners. Yeah, that's right. Evan, uh, have, you st- have you ever stayed at the Dan Panorama Hotel in Tel Aviv? I have not had the opportunity to stay there. Eli, you know that I'm more of a Nick's hotel person. I like staying on the side of the Ayalone Highway. I know, I, I know. <laughs> well, the Dan Panorama Tel Aviv is becoming a residence for coronavirus patients with mild symptoms. So I'm not sure if you'll want to stay there in the future once they reopen as a... But I'm sure it will be cleaned and and sanitized. On the flip side, Eli, doesn't that give some people incentive to maybe... Get, to, uh, to maybe show some mild symptoms. This is a nice hotel we're talking about. It's a nice hotel. I mean, I don't know if the... I, I assume that the gym and pool are, are closed, so I'm not sure how enjoyable... Uh, it will be, but I mean, I mean, it, it makes sense that they're using hotel these hotels that would be completely empty to take some of the uh, the weight off uh, hospitals in Israel, especially for more more mild uh, cases. So I think it's it's a good it's a good thing, and we hope that we see in Israel and in the United States and around the world more actions like this that can mitigate the scope of the crisis and do you know if this is something that is also going to benefit the hotel staff and and certainly all these businesses are now suffering yeah that's right so um i mean with that stay at home if you can keep your distance evan you know what you should you should really end this i don't have the i don't have the intros and the outros down pat as well as you do so all i'll say is what i've said at the end of our last two episodes of israel policy pod that is In the face of a public health crisis, in the midst of this pandemic, there is nothing unsafe, there is nothing unsanitary, there's nothing harmful or unhealthy about listening to Israel Policy Pod. So if you are looking for a risk-free activity to keep you going, keep tuning in to Israel Policy Pod, and we will continue to give you the content that you're looking for. And if you're looking for another activity during this coronavirus pandemic, something you can do to pass the time is leave us a positive review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you didn't enjoy this podcast, then you are completely relieved of that responsibility to write us a review. You don't have to do it. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can take some time and write one up. And we appreciate all the feedback and the support. And we hope you're doing well. And we'll catch you on the next episode. 